Genesis 1, verse 20. It says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind. And everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And I'll pray before I continue here. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, I just ask, Lord, that you would just guide our, our thoughts, prepare our hearts um, to acknowledge you, to, to see you in the things that we look at this morning. Lord, I pray for your, your guidance for me as I'm speaking, that I would speak truth and that I would be honoring to you and that the things said this morning would be a help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, there's a few different directions we could go with some of these things that we're looking at. Um, and I may, may I haven't decided really how, how much depth to go into in, in various things, but I, I will look at some of it in different angles of it maybe in the weeks to come. But this morning, as we complete this chapter and see all of creation... Um, I said it last week, um, God created this world, he made man last, because he was making everything for us. <laughs> he was preparing a world for us to live in, that it would be ready when he made man. And so all of these things were, were created with the entire purpose of having a place for us to live. God made 
you know, we, we get into the fifth day and he starts making things in the water and, and birds in the sky. And then the sixth day, he starts making creatures like cattle and, and all the beasts of the earth, the, the land-dwelling animals. I think the part we'll probably come back and look at maybe just a little bit more is the fact that he made them each kind of animal and he made them produce after their kind as opposed to turning from one kind to another. God made a complete world all at one time. He made a complete thing ready to go when he created man. And so, when we get to the creation of man, in verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Well, we could go lots of directions there too. <laughs> our, our world has somehow confused this whole idea of the male and female. and No, God created them male and female very distinctly. Those are the only two genders that God created. And he decided which one each of us was and is intended to be. Um, you know, we, we, here's a tangent, but it, we get into some illustrations in Scripture and he says, does... The thing made, the, the potter is on making the pottery. And does the lump of clay say to the potter, you did it wrong. <laughs> I was supposed to be something else. Like, the clay has no say over what it becomes. We're just the clay. Let God be God and accept how he made us. And it doesn't, you know, that applies to a whole lot of different areas than just gender, of course. But our world today needs to, to get grasp that whole idea. If I back up to verse 26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's some interesting words used there, and it's important, and I began today, I said, I believe every word. <laughs> and we have that choice. Are you going to believe what it says? Or are you going to make up your own mind of, of how things were and how things are? God said, let us make man in our image. Those are plural words, not singular words. And yet, Deuteronomy 6.4 says, The Lord our God is one Lord. <laughs> God is one. It says it more than once through Scripture. There is one God. I don't worship multiple gods. I worship one God. But our God is plural. In that, and I've pointed out in the, in the very beginning, it, you, we start to see the different parts of the Godhead but God is three parts. 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so we see a very distinct statement that it is that us make man in our image. And God certainly isn't conferring with anybody other than himself when he says that. Let's just look at at just a couple of verses on that topic, just to establish and clarify that. I know we kind of looked at it before, but if we go to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew 3, we have John the Baptist. He's baptizing, and Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And so we get to this point uh, toward the end of the chapter here. Verse 16, so John, sorry, Matthew 3, verse 16. says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And in this case, we have three distinct persons, yet one God. We have Jesus, and we know that Jesus is standing there, and we said, it says he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, not an actual bird landing on his head or anything like this. It's just the Spirit of God descends and become, lights upon him. This is a second part of God. It is the Spirit of God. And then the voice from heaven. It's not the voice from that Spirit that already came down and lighted on him. It's a voice from heaven. And so we see the three persons of God, separate, yet together, combined. And we see that there are the three persons of the Godhead. Each one distinct, and yet together they are one. Um, I, I mentioned in Bible study um, the use of the word Godhead is a a scriptural word. Uh, Romans chapter 1 uses it. <laughs> Sorry, Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And we looked at that just in the aspect of creation, and that people have nothing, no excuse, because of just looking around us. We know that God exists. But it says, it's, we, we understand the Godhead. Why, why would it say the Godhead if it was just a singular 
we need a Godhead is kind of implies more than one part that forms God. Colossians chapter 2 carries on that thought. Just as my, we're looking for these verses and I, I always just continue to tell you where the verses are and I try to wait for people to turn in their Bibles because you're actually turning your Bibles. That's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to learn where stuff is in your Bible. Um, you know, in the Sunday school, I know when Jen's teaching, she's trying to teach the kids the book to learn the books of the Bible in order. And she's driving us crazy at home singing these songs, <laughs> trying to, to that help kids to memorize these things. Um, it's a good thing to memorize the order of the books of the Bible so that you know where to turn to find these things. Um, you learn your Bible by doing this. So anyway, it's a good thing. Colossians 2, uh, verse, starting in verse 8, says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There is some more aspects than just his physical being that we can look at that form the Godhead, but all of it exists in him. And then, <laughs> I have First John 5, and I didn't... Uh, Specify where in First John five I was going here. I think I read the whole chapter and thought, hey, it's all good. <laughs> there's there's a few different things in in First John five that are are worth noting, um, and we see right at the beginning of the chapter, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And this is sort of off the topic of what we're talking about, but Jesus said you must, to Nicodemus, right? You must be born again. And there's a lot of seeming confusion over that topic of what does it mean to be born again? How do I get to be born again? Well, here's the answer. John very simply states that whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There's your second birth, is just believing that Jesus is the Christ. It's putting your faith in, in him for your salvation it gives you that second birth. Um, let's uh, carry on. When we get... This is where you may have some, some issue, depending on what translation you're using. The verses here get muddled a little bit. In King James, verse 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. There's a very definitive verse about 
the Godhead, the Trinity, the three parts of God, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and that statement, it says these three are one. And then it says something else. The next verse here says, there are three that bear witness in earth. So those first said those three that bear record in heaven. And the second statement, there are three that bear witness in earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. Um, the, there's something here. It's about Christ and him coming in the flesh. When it talks about the water, um, as far as I can understand this, I would think that we're talking about physical human birth. When a woman is about to have a baby, it says her water broke. Jesus was born of a woman, of the water. (laughs) And the blood is he spilt his blood on the cross. And the spirit was given. He says, I'm leaving and I'm going to send you a comforter. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has come as a comforter to us, to indwell in us, and continues to bear witness on earth. Three things that point us to the gospel, to our salvation in, in God. Now, I go through all this, said God is plural. Genesis 1.26 says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. In what way did God make man in his image? I think sometimes people get the, the impression that it's our physical body that looks like God. Well, that's really not what it's describing. That's like the least part of how we're made in God's image. And so there's, there's some thoughts here, and I, I made an effort to point out the three parts of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, because God also made people a three-part being. And so, look, if you look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, we see those three aspects of, of who we are. 1 Thessalonians 5. We get to verse... 23, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have three parts to us, our spirit and soul and body. We are a three-part being. Now, again, I talked about this a little bit at our Bible study on Thursday and said this is a difficult topic. And the more I research 
the more difficult it becomes. <laughs> Nobody can seem to give a, a good explanation of the distinct difference between our soul and our spirit. Um, and I commented that I'll probably disagree with some of the theologians on that, and I have no, no, no choice but to disagree because there's no consensus out there. <laughs> Seems like everyone has a little bit different idea, but let's try to, try to understand it as the way Scripture describes these things. And, and we can go through, and, and I won't get bogged down in, in all these verses, um, various places through Scripture and some of the, the prophets in the Old Testament They'll talk about, they'll be making a statement and they'll say something about their spirit and then they'll say something about their soul. And it's like they're almost using the two words interchangeably. <laughs> and it's hard to distinguish that there's a, a distinct difference between the two things. Um, which makes it difficult for us to get a good, solid definition of these things. But we see... In this verse, in 1 Thessalonians 5, that it talks about our whole spirit and soul and body. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 talks about God's word, being able to discern. Be- Let's go there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 12 says, The, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hence the sword drill. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, if God's word can pierce and divide between our soul and our spirit, there must be a difference between the two things. But if it takes something sharper than any two-edged sword. <laughs> that description is like, it's hard to, to separate the two. <laughs> but God can do it, and it takes his word to accomplish that. Again, I'm not going to go through each scripture, but as we go through the Bible and look at various ways that the Bible describes people, when you get into the flood and Noah, the Bible describes how many souls were on the ark, how many souls got saved. When Jacob is going into Egypt, it describes how many souls went with him into Egypt. It numbers people by describing them as a soul. And so we are as far as scripture defines it or uses the word, we are a soul. But we have a body and we have a spirit. Right? Who we are is our soul. And we have a body and we have a spirit. And that's the hard thing. I've struggled with that concept my entire life. And and as we study, we we think that we think with our brain. And yet our entire personality, our person, who we are, our thoughts and intents of our heart, right, is deeper than our brain. It's our soul. There's, that's where these things come from, is our soul. Let's look at, if you look, go to Genesis chapter 2, 
he again describes the creation of man a second time and gives a little more detail. Genesis 2, verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So man became a living soul. That is who we are. But God formed man of the dust of the ground. There's our physical body, this thing that our soul lives inside of for the time being. But the third part isn't directly mentioned, but there is a third aspect of it, is that God breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. Our life force must be our spirit. And without getting into too much detail in the the garden and all that took place in the garden, when God placed them in the garden, they were told they could eat all this stuff, but of this particular tree over here, don't eat it. Because in the day you eat, thereof you will surely die. And yet, we saw that as Adam and Eve ate of the tree, physically, they continued to live for hundreds of years. But God said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So did God break his word? Well, he couldn't have. He's God. He said it. He will keep his word. So something died. Some part of them had to die. It had to be the spirit. Did that spirit cease to exist, though? Obviously not. But it's dead in that it can no longer... It's, the spirit is the part of us that communicates and has fellowship with God. I believe that is the role of our spirit. And that's why when they, we sin, the spirit dies and it loses fellowship with God. That's the sense in which it dies, is that we can no longer have that fellowship with God. If we look at Ecclesiastes gives a couple of verses on, on this. So this is a, a very difficult topic because there's not a, a very clear answer in Scripture. And we have to look at some kind of broad areas to, to get these ideas and understanding of it. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3 has a couple of verses that give us a little bit of information. Ecclesiastes 3, um, verse 20 says, well, back up to verse 19, I guess. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them as the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. 
all go into one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. And if we stop there just for a moment, in the from an earthly perspective, and if you read the introduction to Ecclesiastes, this is from a human perspective, from an earthly perspective, he's looking at things. And so from a human perspective, we can look at when a person dies, it doesn't appear any different than when our dog or cat or gerbil or any other animal dies. We stop breathing, the heart stops pumping, and we're dead. And if you leave that body sitting there long enough, it dissolves into this mush and after a while is again dust. It says God formed us out of the dust of the ground and described it. We turn to dust again. Like we're just dirt. There's nothing else there if you give enough time. We just erode away into nothing. And it looks like we're the same as any other animal. Physically. It's just the body that is that way. And he thankfully adds another verse. Verse 21 says, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Well, there's a difference, isn't there? In our spirit, there is a difference in what happens to that thing. John was upset thinking that our pets may not be in heaven with us. <laughs> I don't think our pets are in heaven with us, guys. <laughs> it says their spirit goes down. It just goes back to the earth. The animals, once, once it dies, is gone. But that's not the case with us. Our spirit goes up to God. And, but it's not, it's not a statement of universal salvation that we all regain fellowship with God. Like, okay, well, we, we understand more than that, don't we? There's, there's two possible outcomes of that. But that spirit doesn't just go away. It goes to God to deal with. So, look, we're still in Ecclesiastes, but if you go over to chapter 12, and could look at much more of this, but it's probably your ambulance heard my pager. My pager went off when I started preaching. <laughs> um, Ecclesiastes twelve verse seven. Just the same statement, but it says it again. Then shall it, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. God takes our spirit back and deals with it. And so there's these two different aspects. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes doesn't deal with the soul, the who the person is. It just deals with the two things that are attached with it, right? One part dissolves back to dust. The other part goes back to God. If you look at Matthew chapter 10, though, 
Jesus gives us a further answer to that. Matthew 10, um, verse 28. says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Our spirit goes back to God. But it's the soul that he deals with. And that may or may not either gain fellowship with him or it may go to hell to be. Now he says destroy. And I don't believe that's a annihilation kind of destroy. This is a, an ongoing perpetual suffering in a lake of fire as the rest of the Bible describes to us. So. One more passage to to look to would be John chapter 4. John 4. Probably should have gone to this one earlier, but it says, John 4, verse 24. It says, God is a spirit... And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is, I made the statement, I said it's our spirit that fellowships with God. That is our relationship with God is through our spirit, that We are a soul, we have a body, we have a spirit, and it's the spirit that gains us fellowship with God, as far as I can see from here. And so, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. We can't make up our own God. We can't make up our own way of worshiping. We must worship him in the way that he defines. We must worship the God who is described in his word. If we make up our own characteristics of this God, we're not worshiping him in truth. And so we're not worshiping the true God if we're not worshiping in truth. And so truth comes from his word. And we must study his word to know the truth of who he is and how to worship him. But it's, the, it's our spirit that has that job of fellowship with God, of worshiping God. I wasn't sure where, what to do with this thought, but I'll, I'll go here to Ephesians chapter 2. I think it's chapter 2. We talk about being born again, I mentioned in, in 1 John, 
5, the, the beginning of the chapter, describes that whosoever believeth is born of God. We must be born again. We must we, we speak of this as a spiritual birth, right? We must be spiritually reborn. Because the Spirit is what died because of our sin. If we read Ephesians chapter 2, I'll just start at the beginning of the chapter and see, we'll see how it describes us. It says, And you hath he quickened. Quickened means to be made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. When we were dead in trespasses and sins, we were the children of wrath. As in, our soul was going to be subject to eternity in hell because of our sin. We, because of that lack of fellowship. Now, we had a guy come here and was preaching very adamantly from these passages in, in Ephesians 1 that if we're spiritually dead, we can't possibly come to God in our own because we're dead. A dead person can't choose anything, right? But there was three parts of us, remember that. The, the spirit is the part that has fellowship with God. But who I am is my soul. It's my soul that determines my personality, my choices. And so when I'm presented with the gospel, it's not my spirit that makes the choice. It's the spirit that's dead and can get made alive again. In my soul, my person, the who I am, decides what to do with that message of the gospel. Acts 28, verse 24 said, some of them believed, but some did not. If we believe, then our soul gets made alive and gain, regains that fellowship. It gets that new birth and gains fellowship with God. We are able to, to believe or not believe, to make that just choice on our own. Something that's really special, though. We were made in God's image back in Genesis 1. And he said at the end of it, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. We were made whole. With that fellowship, with that spirit intact, alive. And it was very good. Ephesians 1 talks about those who are in Christ, describes that we should be holy and without blame before him. 
that he's predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. And it says that we should be conformed to his image. We were made in his image originally, but sin corrupted that, and it, it killed a part of us. It killed our spirit. But that spirit can be made alive again, and there's a process that he is going to fix this body. This body got corrupted through sin, and he's going to conform us to his image once again in perfection. We will be again in his likeness, in his image. What a... I know I can't do justice. Like, I'm trying to piece this together and explain it the best I can, and I'm doing a terrible job of it. (laughs) But what a glorious message as you piece this whole story together through the Bible of this perfection that was made and we were made in God's image. We were like him. And we had fellowship with him. But our sin ruined the fellowship. It killed a part of us. The part of us that had that fellowship with God. And yet Christ came and died on the cross and it's through believing in that that he is who he said he is. That he was, did what he said he did as far as dying for as payment for my sin. And if I believe that, he says I'm become born again, as in that spirit gets made alive once again, and I have regained fellowship, and he's going to fix the whole thing, the whole me. At his return, I get a new one of these flesh not fat and broken and whatever (laughs) problems that we have with it it's fixed it's perfect and it has we have perfect fellowship with God once again we can actually be in his presence because he's going to make us like him what a it's an incredible story it's the the story of the whole book how do I piece it together in one sermon right like (laughs) you need the whole story but I'm trying to take the pieces and put it together that we can understand it. It's an excellent story. It's a wonderful story. For those that believe. It's a terrifying story for those that don't. Let's pray.